It's another great day to assemble together, to worship our God, to remember our Lord. Uh, it's good to see you all here this morning. Now, a couple of reminders before we begin. Don't forget to silence your cell phone. Mine went off in Bible class, so I've got that taken care of. Uh, pick up the communion outside the doors in the back, and you can leave your contribution in the boxes at the back. If you're visiting with us, uh, please fill out a visitor's card. Drop it in the box in the back or give it to someone so we can have a record of you being here and get to know you a little better. And uh, you may want to be aware we have a nursery behind these mirrored glass windows over here. And we have a worship hour for the children grades two and down. Uh, and you'll be dismissed at that for, the, for that at the appropriate time. Uh, visitors, one last chance. If you've not filled out a survey, please fill that out. Drop it in the white mailbox in the back. And uh, is that it? Yeah? All right. Join me in a word of prayer, please, before we begin. Father, we are so thankful for um, just for all that you've given us and all that you've done for us. We thank you for your, your care, your concern, your presence in our lives, Father, for, for your love for each of us. Most of all, for the son that you sent uh, to die for us. Uh, we ask, Father, you bless our service this morning. We pray that everything we do is in accordance with your will. Uh, we want to strive, Father, to do the things you want us to do, uh, to be the people you want us to be. Just help us to accomplish that this morning. Help us to put aside our cares, our concerns, our troubles uh, that we face in this life through this worship service, Father. And help us to direct our minds and our thoughts only towards you and to your son and to your love. Continue to uh, bless the many that we are concerned about. At the appropriate time, Father, we will, we will pray for them. And we will ask your blessings upon them specifically. Continue to guide our lives. Bless us this day. Bless us uh, through this service. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you stand for the first song, please? Okay. First hymn this morning, number 595. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. <clears throat> Stand up, stand up for Jesus, He's soldier of the cross. Lift up His royal banner, it must not suffer
Morning number 234, Higher Ground, 234. And after this end, Brother Hunter Thompson will have our scripture reading and prayer. I'm pressing on the upward way, new life on day, in every day, still reigning morning. Scripture reading this morning comes from Jeremiah chapter 31. It's going to be verses 31 through 34. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was as husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. Let us pray. 
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for another beautiful Lord's Day that you bless us with. The opportunity to gather here and to bring praise to your name and worship you and learn more about you freely. Pray that you be with everyone here as we go through this worship service. Not only everyone in this building, but everyone in the congregation. Those who may not be able to get out due to sickness or shut-ins or whatever it may be, dear Lord. Put your hand over them and us as well as we go through this. Protect us as we leave here. Open our minds and help us to make the right decisions. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next time this morning, number 916, come share the Lord. <clears throat> we gather here in Jesus' name. His love is burning in our hearts like living flame. For through the loving sun, the Father makes us one. Come take the breath, come greet the Come share the Lord. No one is a stranger here. First Corinthians 11, chapter 11, is an oft-cited passage when we partake of the Lord's Supper, and there's, there's good reason for that. It is the longest explanation about this that we are about to do that we have in the New Testament. Um, it goes into not only how we are to do it, but how we are not to do it. And so I'm not going to read that through that section again, but I do want to focus in on one particular verse. Verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 28 says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The Greek word for examine is dokimatso, or something like that. And Thayer tells us that it means the following, to try, 
to test, to prove, or to scrutinize. And in parentheses, he says, to see whether a thing be genuine or not, as in the testing of metals. And I don't know all the process that goes into testing of metals, but I'm sure we've all seen somebody take either a gold medal around their chest or something, and they'll hold it up and they'll bite it. I don't know what you're biting for. If I was biting it, I wouldn't know whether it was good or bad or whatever. But that's how, that's how some would test metals to scrutinize whether or not that was genuine. The entire latter half of 1 Corinthians 11 is an indictment of the church at Corinth, degrading the Lord's Supper to that of a common meal, a social event, even where more of their divisions were in evidence that they talk about a couple of times. Paul talks about a couple of times earlier in the letter. This self-examination before partaking is most important and extremely meaningful for such a solemn feast that we have, and it's commanded by Paul here. So what are the purposes of examining, or how do we examine ourselves? One, to make sure we treat it with the respect that it richly deserves, and I think that's implied in there. I don't think I'm pulling that out unnecessarily. Second, to center our thoughts where they rightly should be, on the body and blood of Jesus and our participation in the solemn remembrance of his sacrifice. In just a minute, we will uh, take time to do this, but um, I kind of miss the fact that we don't spend more time, by the, at least by the requirement of passing them amongst us to give us a little more time to think about that. Acts 20 and 7 suggests this is the reason, this was the, the reason that they came to gather to meet. And the other things were, maybe that's an inference on my part, uh, and more incidental. This that we are about to do is extremely important. And third, to make sure that we don't bring condemnation on our own heads by not doing what we just said. Notice the two verses on either side of verse 28. Verse 27 says, Whoso, whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That sounds pretty serious. Sounds like we should be focusing every bit of whatever we can on this solemn feast that we are about to partake because there are judgment consequences. We fall out of grace momentarily at least something we should repent of if we do. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Here and here. It's serious. Pretty heavy stuff. One more word that deserves our attention, and that's that uh, discerning word in verse 29, without discerning the body. Thayer says that that means to separate, to make distinction, to discriminate. But then he specifically points out in 1 Corinthians 11 here, to distinguish or separate a person or thing from everything else, from the rest, in effect, equivalent to prefer, yield to him, the preference and honor 
that is deserved. So finally, the consequences. You're deemed guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. You drink judgment on yourself for not doing these things. So let's not focus on the not doing those things and those consequences. Let's, do, let's focus on doing them because we love him and thank him. Granted, Corinth had gone way over the top. They had gone way over the top. And nothing that we can do here probably will come, come even close to that. But am I heading in that direction with how I treat this time that we spend remembering the sacrifice of Jesus, what it costs him and our Father, and what that sacrifice means to us? There's so many ways that we can stay focused on him as we do this. So pick one as we examine ourselves and as we discern the body. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to come once a week and focus specifically on the body and the blood of your son as it was sacrificed on the cross for our sins. As we consider what that sacrifice means to us and what it cost the two of you to undergo this offering on our behalf, we pray, Father, that you will bless this bread as we partake of it, that we will truly discern the body and the blood as we go through the rest of what we're about to do. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Father, we ask that you continue your blessings on this fruit of the vine, which represents that precious blood that without its shedding, we do not have remission of sins. There is no way to reconcile ourselves to you. We cannot achieve salvation on, your, on our own, and it is through his sacrifice that not only allows us a chance to live with you in eternity, but to access you now as we do in prayer. We ask that you be with us as we partake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This concludes the Lord's Supper, but it's a convenient time that normally when the men are gathered, we pass the uh, plates for the, the weekly collection. Uh, we're not doing that right now with either the uh, Lord's Supper or the, the plates, but we have two boxes here in the back, black boxes with white signs on top of them, for you to leave your contribution here. Um, this is the way that we uh, have as example uh, instruction in the New Testament for how um, congregations, local congregations of the body of Christ are to fund their work. And so um, it's a free will offering of the members so that uh, in times of duress and stress and special occasions, 
we do not have to take up a collection according to 1 Corinthians 16.1. So let's pray as we do this. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we thank you for all the blessings of this life, especially for, for our spiritual blessings. But at this time now, Father, as we continue, how fortunate we are to live in this world that we live in, that you have given to us, this country that we have where freedoms are so prevalent uh, that so many times we take them for granted and that opportunities that we have to earn livings, to provide for our family and to give back a portion to you at this time. We pray, Father, that each of us will not do begrudgingly, uh, that we will willfully and lovingly devote this money to the work here so that the word can be spread in this community and we can carry out the things that we as a local congregation are supposed to do. We ask this prayer in your son's name. Amen. Let's all please stand. We'll sing hymn number 388. Let every heart rejoice and sing. And so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Let every heart rejoice and sing. Let Him for this morning, number 369. 369, Jesus the Loving Shepherd. The Son of the Christ. Uh, Plato 
not the uh, children's toy, but the philosopher, told a story about uh, a cave. In the cave was, uh, were these people. They were seeing uh, shadows against the back wall. They had a fire in front of them. There was, they were looking against the back wall, and the entrance to the cave was behind them. They didn't know that. They had only ever looked this way toward the, toward the back of the cave, and so they're seeing shadows up against the back of the cave, and they thought that the shadows were real. They thought that you could reach out and touch the shadows, that they could walk off of the cave wall and affect their lives. They didn't know about the outside world, the reality that was what we would know today as as reality. They thought that the cave shadows were were real. Today in Hebrews chapter 8, we're talking about something very much like that, and maybe even uh, our author this morning will allude to uh, Plato's story, his allegory. Uh, His people would have been familiar with the allegory uh, Plato had written it just a few years earlier, and so they would have been uh, aware of this fact. But he's going to compare reality with superficiality today. And so, uh, if you've got your Bibles, be turning to Hebrews chapter 8. We've been in the middle of a study on Hebrews now for several weeks. I hope it's been a blessing to you. It's been a little while since we've gotten to talk about uh, Hebrews, and so I wanted to catch us up back maybe to where we, we, where we were in the previous weeks. Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians, people who have come out of Judaism to Christ. And they are being persecuted because of this. Uh, their families, their culture uh, have ostracized them. And so what was once very easy, Judaism is a um, religion... Um, but it's also a, a family. It's it's uh, it's a culture, and so what was once very easy now has become very very hard because all the safety nets that these people had had in place, all the uh, the opportunities and the businesses and and the the love that had once been theirs in Judaism, once they came to Christ was gone. It was a price that they had to pay. Jesus would have looked at them in the eye and said. You're, you're going to have to pay a, a hefty price. And it may become even more significant as time progresses, but it is so worth it to be inside of Christ. That's what we're talking about today in Hebrews chapter 8. This passage is kind of impressive. Um, listen, listen to what he says here in the first verse. This may have been what you are all been waiting for. <laughs> it's kind of what he's been building to for the last eight chapters. He says, now the point in what we're saying is this. Don't you love that? When somebody tells you, here's why I'm telling you this. Sometimes we like to talk in riddles and codes. Hebrew writer, he says, I'm telling you this because, he's about to tell you why he's telling you this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. There's the allusion, at least possibly, to, to Plato's allegory of the cave. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. 
So there's a couple things that we need to talk about there, right? He has been building up, our Hebrew writer has, for the last seven chapters now, up until this, this same point. He wants to talk about Jesus' high priesthood. He wants to convey to us the significance of that. He wants them to understand what they have. Sometimes we don't understand what we have, right? You ever been cleaning out a drawer and found like some seed money? We do that all the time. Kelly's a, a squirreler. So we'll, we'll find money in a, in a, in a drawer or in, or in an envelope somewhere. It's like, oh, wonderful. I didn't know I had $50. Now I've got it. Sometimes you don't know what you've got. The Hebrew writer is concerned that the people reading his letter, us, might not be aware of what we have. He is convinced that the Jewish Christians that he's writing to don't know what they've got. They need to understand deep down in their souls, not just with their minds, but deep down in their souls, that Jesus is their high priest and the ramifications of what that means to them. And so what does a high priest do? Well, they were, would have been very familiar with that. A high priest is the guy who makes sacrifices, right? He's the one who stands in between them and God, and, and he makes it right. He makes them right, as a matter of fact, because they are wrong, before he steps in, before the high priest intercedes, the people are wrong. They are sinful. They are condemned. But then the high priest steps in and he makes the sacrifices and the people's sins, God looks away from them. <coughs> the only problem is that guy, the high priest, had sinned too. Second problem is he was human, so he died. And so a new guy had to take his place. And it was just, it kept on going and kept on going. The third problem is probably the biggest one. The blood of animals, bulls and goats can't take away sin. That's the big problem, right? And so this guy was trying to make people right, thanks to the old law, the the law that God instituted. He said he put this in place so that people can be right. But it didn't work. And today you're going to see why it didn't work. So let's talk about these first couple of little, or some, some things that you need to underline and be aware of in these first couple of, of uh, verses here that the Hebrew writers uh, written to us. So if you look in your, in your text here, you notice that Jesus is seated. The high priest never sat down. When he, when he offered sacrifices, he would go from the holy place enter into the most holy place, and he went there trembling. Most scholars, at least most Jewish scholars, uh, will tell you that they would have tied a rope to the high priest's leg in case God struck him dead when he went into the most holy place because he had not atoned for his own sin. And so coming before a, a holy and just God, is incredibly dangerous. There's a great C.S. Lewis quote. I think it's from uh, Chronicles of Narnia, uh, where uh, one of the characters says, uh, "Oh, is is he is he? Oh, he's, so he's not dangerous then?" And he said, "Oh no, he's dangerous, but he's good." You find that kind of concept here uh, with with the high priest walking into God's most holy place, where his presence lived. It can be a terrifying thing even for a guy who knows God, even for God's man. It can be a terrifying thing. 
And so they would tie a rope to his leg. So if he died, he didn't have to stay in there the entire year before the next high priest could go in and, and bring his body out. No, they would pull him out if God happened to strike him dead because of his, his sin. So that guy never sat down. In fact, when he got in, the first thing he would do, he would stick his hand. He's holding a censer. He would stick his hand through the, the, the curtains in the temple. He's standing in the holy place. He would stick his hand through the curtains into the most holy place and smoke would rise up. And he was hoping that that smoke, God said that that smoke, would shield him from God's justice. Because it didn't matter how much sin or how many sacrifices he had made, they weren't going to atone for his sin. See the problem? And so this guy comes into the most holy place and his actions are not hurried, but he is very aware that he is in front of the creator of the world, in front of Yahweh, Israel's covenantal God, and the power and the majesty that that God displays is terrific in the sense of the word terror. He can be a frightening God. Jesus, our high priest, the Hebrew writer tells us, has entered into God's presence and is now sitting down. And so you have this idea that the Hebrew writer wants you to grab a hold of. He is your high priest. He has made sacrifice for you. He's made you right with God. Don't mistake, though, that he's like that guy, that he's like the high priest, because he's not. This, in fact, is his kingdom. You're a part of his kingdom. Not only are you just a part of his world, everyone's a part of his world, but if you're here, you're a part of his kingdom. And he's sitting on his throne after having made sacrifice for you to make you right with the Father. You see how Jesus is much more significant than this initial high priest, the high priest that they were familiar with, the guy that they could come put their arms around, the guy that they could see. He says, Jesus is no comparison. He is infinitely better than that guy. On top of all of that, though, Jesus' blood is effectual to take away sins. The sacrifices that this guy made were not. And so what you have in Jesus as your high priest is something incredible. It's almost beyond words, right? So note that he is that he's seated on the throne. Note also, here in verse 4, oh, sorry, verse 3, it says, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So what's this priest going to offer? What's the priest that he's talking about is Jesus. So what does Jesus have to offer? Well, he's got our advoc- the advocacy for our sins. Um, that's what Jesus came to Offer you. It's an offer. You don't have to accept it. He's not going to force you to accept it. He's a God of free will and grace and power, but He's not going to make you accept His offer. But it is an offer. And He's pleading with you to come. Isn't it kind of incredible? How many times would a superior, especially a being so superior as He is above us, beg anything? But here we find God in the, in the pages of Scripture begging us 
to accept his offer. To put him on in baptism, to have our sins washed away so that we can be a part of his family. Hebrews 8 is an incredible chapter. So deep, so beautiful, um, so powerful. (coughs) Sorry. Doing everything I can to not cough. So there's his offer, his advocacy. He wants to intercede on our behalf. He wants to be the one who takes away our sins. Will we allow him to do it? That's the question for us this morning. Will we allow him to do it? This idea in verse 5, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Returning back to the old law would be like trading a Lexus for a picture of a Lexus. That doesn't make much sense, does it? When, uh, when Kelly and I, when I was in grad school, Kelly and I lived in uh, Jackson, Tennessee, I went to school in Henderson, this little little bitty city of Henderson, Tennessee. It's in West Tennessee. Uh, if you don't know Freed Hardman, you probably never heard of it. But we lived in Jackson, Tennessee, and I commuted every day to classes. We lived in this little house uh, in South Jackson. Uh, it was kind of a not the be- not the best house. It was a little falling apart, but it was it was our house for several years while we were there in grad school. Uh, I went back a couple of years ago to try to find it. I couldn't find it. I think they tore it down. So the people going back to the old law, that's what, they're, that's what the temptation is here, right? The Jewish Christians, the Hebrew writer is, is understanding that they're being tempted to go back into the old law. Them going back to the old law would be like Kelly and I, Kelly and I going back to live in that house. Well, the problem is the house isn't there anymore, it's not that they're going back to an, 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 an inferior system of meeting God. It's that they're going back to a non-existent system of meeting God. He's done away with that now. It's no longer in effect. You can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. And so the Hebrew writer says, this is utter foolishness to think that you can go back. It's not there anymore. He's already done away with it. In fact, he, he points to that uh, toward the end of this verse in verse 13. He says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is, and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's, he's using a word there uh, that's indicative of, of clothing that's so old that it's just, it's just falling apart. Probably none of us have ever had any clothes that old, right? But you, you can see the image maybe in your head of, of clothes that are just... You touch them and they just disintegrate. That's what he says the old law is doing. You can't go back to it because there's nothing to go back to. And so his argument throughout the book of Hebrews has been focused on that one fact. They want to go back because it hurts so much to be in Christ. Because it's cost them so much to be in Christ. Because their family and their businesses and all the things that they enjoyed in Judaism so much harder now that they're in Christ. They've made sacrifices. There's been the cost. There ought to have been. And so they're tempted to capitulate, to, to give in, to go back. And the Hebrew writer here says there's nothing to go back to. You want to go back? You're going back into death. There's, there's no system there anymore. Okay. Pick up in verse 7 with me. Hebrews 8, verse 7. 
Here's, here's really the meat, I think, of Hebrews chapter 8. This, he's going to get into, uh, this, this is the longest passage uh, of Old Testament scripture that's quoted in the New Testament. It's from Jeremiah 31. It's the passage that uh, Hunter read for us this morning. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. The Hebrew writer co-ops that passage and brings it into the New Testament and tells us what it meant all along. What, Jer- what was Jeremiah talking about back in the day? <coughs> Excuse me. When he wrote those words, behold, there's a day that's coming. Well, what day's coming, Jeremiah? Jeremiah would have told you had, he, had God let him in on it. And the Hebrew writer is certainly going to tell you because God has let him in on it that that day is Jesus' day when he's in the kingdom, when he's founded the church. And how significant and special she is. Let's listen to what he says. Hebrews 8, verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Let's stop right there for a second. He's admitting that the Mosaical law, something was wrong with it. It was flawed. It wasn't perfect. Listen to what he says in verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says, he gets into the Jeremiah 31 passage. Most translations there, I think, say he finds fault with them. I think a better translation is he finds fault, he finds fault with it. He finds fault with the law. Something's wrong with the law. It's flawed. People can't follow it. It's not getting people to where they need to be. It's not moving them from away from God to God. It's not doing that. It doesn't have the power. Why not? It's the people's fault. It's our fault. Listen to what he says in Jeremiah 31. Quoted here for us in Hebrews chapter 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Now, they're familiar with that covenant because these guys are Jewish folks. These guys are Jews. They understood the old covenant. When he says, when he says the, the previous covenant God made with his people, these, these Jewish minds would have snapped right back. And they would have been back in Egypt having God redeeming them, buying them. He paid a price for Israel. Did you know that? He paid a high price for them in Israel, in Egypt, bringing them out, purchasing them. Just like he purchased the church, he brought them out of Egypt and made them his own. And he made a contract with them at Mount Sinai where they, he gave them laws and said, if you would be my people, you will follow these laws. It's a lot like your kids, right? If you want to be, um, be mine, if you want to rest in my love and my uh, will. <laughs> if you want my stuff, you have to obey the rules, right? As long as you're under my house, you'll obey the You guys are familiar with that. God says, if you want to be mine, you follow these rules. He did that at Mount Sinai. Something was flawed, though. Something was wrong. There was a chink in the armor. There's a glitch in the system. What is that? Not everybody wanted to do it. Not everybody wanted to follow. There were guys like Jeroboam. We've been talking about in our evening services. 
There were guys like Rehoboam, and we've talked about another one of the kings of Israel, that these guys knew God. They had a relationship with him. They would even spoken with him. But they didn't love him. And they didn't love what he loved. And they didn't give their whole heart to him. They were happy putting on the facade. They were happy wearing the, the, the sign that says, I'm God's. But were they really? Nope. Not any more than Jonah was. We talked about him in our morning Bible class this, this, just this morning. He was happy wearing the facade. He was happy wearing the, the mask. But he was never really God's. He didn't love what God loved. He knew him. He knew a lot of the facts about him. But he never really loved what he loved. What God loved. And I think that's a trap we fall into too. It's an easy trap, isn't it? To, to come to services, to sit in our pew, to listen, maybe even taking notes. Maybe you're even memorizing scripture. Jonah quotes scripture something like 14 or 15 times when he's in the belly of the fish. He knew God. He knew scripture. This guy's an expert in scripture. It didn't mean he loved what God loved. That's the problem with the old law. God gave it to the people, and he had always intended it to be written on their hearts. That's a term you're going to find in just a second as we read through the rest of Hebrews chapter 8. That's the way the new law works, the way Jesus' law works. It's written on your heart. God had always intended even the old law, the Mosaical law, to be written on their hearts. The people just wouldn't do it. It's a scary thing, isn't it? Because we see ourselves in that. Don't you? I see such a possibility for, for me to do that, to just pay lip service, but never to actually love what he loves and to fall in line behind him, to agree with him. That's what these guys were doing. He wanted it written on their hearts, but they instead wrote it and put it on necklaces, and then they put it on their hair. It was never meant to be like that. It was always meant to be written on their hearts, to be taken inside of them. They just wouldn't do it. So the first law was, was faulted. Uh, it, it, there was a problem with it. So he says in verse 10, Hebrews 8, verse 10. Oh, sorry, back up to verse 9, because we missed an important part here in the end of verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. Listen to this. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. Did you catch that? They stopped obeying. They didn't write his law on their hearts. And what happened? What did he do? He stopped Showing concern for them. There are an awful lot of verses in Scripture that are scary. That one's really near the top of the list for me. He stopped showing concern for them because they refused to obey. Wow, right? Heavy. It gets a lot lighter in verse 10. For this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach, (coughs) sorry, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Out of this incredible darkness that he's painted for us in Hebrews 8, 8 and 9, where it just almost soaks your soul up and you're terrified. It's like this incredible, powerful, majestic, but also just God demands things from me. And if I don't give it to him, there is only wrath to come and there's nothing I can do about it. That's terrifying, right? But there's a caveat. This powerful, just God demands from things from you, but there is something you can do about satiating his wrath, stalling it off. He would say that you have to get into this new covenant, this new deal, Jesus' new deal with people. What is this new deal and what's he mean here in Hebrews 8? It's really confusing, right? He's talking about the church. He's talking about the church. It's really beautiful. Check out what he says. Uh, Look in verse 10. He says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. That word write, it's the word that you would use for a brand. And so he, like, like you would brand a cow, he's written not, not with pencil, maybe we would say, but with ink. He, 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 he is branding our hearts with his word. It's, it's really an incredible thing when God asks for our hearts. We talked about uh, Rehoboam and, and Jonah just a second ago. These guys... They had never, uh, it seems, given him their, their heart. The Hebrew writer says in this, in this new covenant, what Jeremiah was really saying 600 years before Jesus was born was that there was coming a day when God's people were God's people because they had given him their heart so that he could refashion it, so that he could remold it, so that he could do a brand new thing in you. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians. He says you're a brand new creation. You've got a brand new heart. You've had heart surgery. And so it's no longer the heart that you were born with, the heart that was selfish and did what it wanted to do, did whatever it wanted to do. That heart's gone now. It's been taken out. When you came to Christ, when you were baptized into him, he removed that heart and he put in you a brand new heart that longs for him. If you don't have that heart, the Hebrew writer would say you're not in the kingdom. And all the fear and all the things that he's talked about in the first couple of verses here, the wrath that's coming, is coming for you. I think a lot of times in the church, we make the mistake, a very serious mistake, of thinking that as long as I come to worship services, as long as I do good things, as long as I'm a moral good person, God's going to smile on me. Those things are, are good and necessary, right? 
He smiles on you when you're inside of Christ. That's where the power is. That's where the forgiveness is. That's where the change happens. But if you haven't, if you have been baptized, but you haven't given him your heart, you just done an act. There was no power there. It's all in our intentions. It matters what you intend here. So when you come to him, you have to give him your heart and allow him to transform it, transform you into a brand new creation, something that longs for him. You do that by so taking in his word that it is branded on your heart. Listen to what he says in verse 11. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. Well, how in the world are we all going to know you? Not everyone in the world knows you, right? How are we all going to know you? Because he's talking about the church. Understand that he's not talking about the entire world. He's, he's not talking about the entire world. He's talking about a small section of the world. He's talking about us. And so I don't have to teach you to know the Lord. When he says know here, he's not meaning like, like, oh, I know this person or I know this person. He's no in Bible in the Bible means you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. That's the church. That's only those who are in the church. Only those who have been baptized into his blood, having their sins washed away, have a personal personal <laughs> didn't know that word was so hard to say, did you? A personal, intimate relationship with him. And so I don't have to teach you and you don't have to teach me to know the Lord, to have a personal, intimate relationship with him because you already do, because you're in the kingdom. Now, we need to encourage one another and we need to to keep up, you know. We've got to do that. Those things are important. But I don't have to teach you to have a personal, intimate relationship with him because it's already there. You're already fighting for it. You're already diving deep into his word. You're already praying. You're already congregating with the saints. You're already doing these things. And so we already know him. Listen to what he says in verse 12, though. This is, this is the most incredible part of the passage, maybe. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how people say, they never say, remember my sins. Why would they, why would they not say that? Because in the Bible, remember means something different. A lot like no does. In the Bible, remember means something different than the way we, we, we would use it today. Remember, when God remembers something, he acts on it. And so when he remembers his covenant, what's he do? He acts on the behalf of his people. When he forgets your sin, what's he done? He's taken away the consequences for it. He doesn't have to act on it now, which is glorious, which is life-changing, right? which ought to bring us to our knees every time we think about it, that though I have sinned, though I have rebelled against him, consciously rebelled against him, intentionally rebelled against him, there is power and grace that can overcome that in the blood of Christ. It's incredible that the same offer that was given in Acts 2 to the people who had been standing in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. 
possibly even some of the soldiers were in that crowd that day who had physically nailed the, wound, nailed the nails into Jesus' side and watched him die. The same offer that was open to them because of their sin is open to us today because of our sin. Does that not shatter your mind? Rainbow of beauty. It's just incredible what he's done inside of Christ. The glory and the power and the safety that's here. And the terror and the wrath and the condemnation that's outside. It's night and day, isn't it? And you get both sides. You see both aspects here in Hebrews chapter 8, where the Hebrew writer is saying, don't go back because there's, there's death and decay and wrath there. And there's nothing even back there to go back to. That old system's gone. You come into the new system, which they had done, which most of you today have done, have come into Christ's system. And he's reminding them, and I'm reminding you of what we have inside of Christ. The incredible safety that's there. The incredible power that's there. You see it. Can you grab a hold of it? Write that on your heart. Allow God to brand that into you so that we never forget it. Maybe this morning you're not inside of Christ and you're thinking, how do I do it? How do I get inside? How, how do I get this safety? The only way to do it is found in Scripture. He wants you to come. And He's provided a way. He wrote a book to tell you how to come to Him, right? The short story is you're, you're baptized, you're immersed into water for the purpose of forgiveness of your sins with the intention of having Him give you a brand new heart to transform who you are now into Christ. And then all the covenantal blessings you find in Scripture, you find in the New Testament that are ours inside of Christ are yours because you're inside of Christ. It's incredible, right? Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You see the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. Why don't you come this morning as we stand and sing?
David for one one second a special plea the surveys uh, that are out there and we've been asking you to complete uh, is a chance for you to talk to the elders you can come and talk to us anytime we have to make decisions and are bound to do those decisions make those decisions on behalf of the congregation doesn't say anywhere that we can't seek your input and so we're asking you to give us your thoughts on priorities that we should have topics we should cover in Bible classes and in sermons and things of that sort so I think if, if you will take maybe five minutes uh, or so to fill out one of those, we will have a better return than we currently have. If we're going to make any generalizations about that, we can't have only a few people responding. And right now we've got 14 uh, responses. So we're going to put all that stuff in a database. We're going to record every comment you make, and we're going to read those, and we're going to take it to heart and, and try to use those for the decisions we make. Thank you. Good morning, church family. Yes. If you have not filled out a survey, raise your hand so that way the gentleman uh, can pass, give you a sheet. Uh, um, be greatly appreciated. All right. Well. Let me get my thoughts back. Um, if you're visiting with us, we are glad you decided to worship with us this morning. Um, uh, take an opportunity. There's a little uh, little visitor uh, sheet in front of you. If you take an opportunity to fill one of those out, that would be greatly appreciated. Uh, that way we can have a record of your attendance. Also, don't forget, next Sunday's Church Eat Church. Uh, we'll have our, our uh, potluck. Next Sunday, everyone is invited to this. Uh, what a great opportunity for us to get together, to fellowship with one another. It's been a while, um, so uh, everyone is welcome to come to that. We'll have 1 o'clock service uh, after the potluck. There will be no 4 o'clock service. Uh, CYC is approaching very fast. It will be here before you know it. It is February 25th through the 27th. There's a sign-up sheet out in the foyer board for snacks for the teens uh, for CYC. Um, I'm always amazed on how much these kids can eat. Um, we sit in a session at CYC listening to speakers for five hours, and we get these little bags, and they fill them up with goodies, and they snack while um, it's kind of like watching a movie and eating your popcorn. So, But... Uh, 
If you can help out with those snacks, it would be greatly appreciated. Uh, please sign up on, this, on the four-year board if you can help out with that. Also, uh, we're having the Bible Bowl, the Centerville Church of Christ, on uh, the book of Genesis on March 5th through the 6th. There's a sign-up sheet on the four-year board for that. We'll be studying um, Genesis 1 through 25, uh, New, King's, New King James Version. Uh, so uh, please, this is for the adults as well. So if you, as an adult, want to get involved in the Bible Bowl, uh, please see me, and I'll be more than happy to tell you more, more information on that. Uh, remember to continue to remember the Payne family and your prayers, the passing of Amber Payne's uh, grandmother. Uh, the services will be today at 2 o'clock, so remember to continue to keep uh, that family in your prayers. Remember to continue to keep the Leap family in your prayers as well, the passing of Rusty. Shauna has put a thank you note on the four-year board, so please take an opportunity to read that. Um, also, remember to continue to keep Kristen in your prayers as well, and James and Linda and the rest of the family in your daily prayers as well as they go through a difficult time. Also, Sue Powell had eye surgery last week. Everything went well with her surgery. Uh, thank goodness for that. And she will have uh, surgery on her second eye next month. So remember to continue to keep her in her prayers as she recovers at home. Uh, Nash Walker, the grandson of Jeff and Jackie Floyd, that's uh, Leslie and Brandon Walker's son. Uh, little Nash, uh, last week he was bitten in the face uh, by a dog and left some uh, scarring. Uh, he had surgery done, and but is doing much better. Surgery went well. Uh, just remember to keep uh, little Nash in your prayers at this time. Also, Sandy Wilson's uh, uh, grandson, Landon, he's one years old. Uh, he had COVID, but is doing much better. So remember to continue to keep Landon in your prayers and mom and dad. Also, remember uh, to pray for Katie Berkey, uh, her grandmother, uh, was taken to the ER uh, last week, so remember to keep her, uh, Katie Berkey's grandmother in your prayers. Uh, Marvin Jordan remains at St. Mary's. Uh, remember to continue to keep him in your prayers as he recovers from his back surgery. Also, Portia Davis's stepmother had a pacemaker put in, uh, so remember to keep her in your prayers as she recovers from that. Also, Dan Wheeler is requested prayers. He's dealing with cancer and chemo treatment this time, so remember to continue to keep Dan Wheeler in your prayers. Peggy Rowe and her son Travis both have COVID, so remember them in your prayers as they uh, get over that awful virus. And also, Peg Pryor's nephew, Omar Cruz, he's 45 years old. He's a deacon at Centerville Church of Christ, and uh, he's on a ventilator. He has COVID, and he's on a ventilator right now. So remember, continue to keep um, that family in your, in your prayers. The family has been called in, uh, so it's very serious. So remember to keep them in your prayers. And also, keep me in your prayers. I will have um, uh, I'll, a scope put in this Wednesday, so I'll be put to sleep. Uh, so remember to keep me in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have at this time. Uh, we will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Looking forward to seeing everybody again at 4 o'clock. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 118, Count Your Blessings. We'll sing the first and last verse. 
And then Brother Jason Stevens will have a prayer. When upon thy pillows you are tempest when you are discouraged thinking of in this fall, and for me a blessing thing in life I and it will surprise you by the I'm not Jason, but I want to say a couple things to everybody first. I want to give a most heartfelt thank you for my church family, for all the prayers, all the considerations that you've done for myself and Kristen and uh, Braden and Mason, the food, the cards. Um, it's been overpouring your support of love. We tremendously appreciate it. Um, She's had a couple good days in a row, and the kids and I have talked. We said any little bit of improvement is a good thing. So we're so grateful and thankful, and we ask that you continue to keep her in your prayers each day. And uh, again, thank you so much. Let's go to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we come to you this day. Thank you so much for our many blessings, Father. Thankful for this church family and what it means to each and every one of us, Father. We're thankful for the work of the church here, for the ones that sends the cards, the ones that sends foods, examples that they are, Father, for those uh, that are in need or that are in hurt in situations. Father, we're grateful for the elders and their leadership here to pray that you continue to bless each and every one of them as they continue the service here at Rome, Father. Father, we're thankful for the country in which we live. We pray for the country that we uh, would look to you for the decisions, for the leaders, that they, the decisions that they make, that they would look for you in guidance in all things. Father, thank you so much for the avenue of prayer, for we can come to you through prayer and know that you hear our words and you know our needs. And we know that no matter what, you are always by our side. Thank you for that encouragement and thank you for that knowledge of knowing those things thank you so much for our our families father we're thankful for the love that we can share amongst each other here at this church thank you so much for everything that you do dear god pray that you'll be with the Payne family father and continue to be as shauna and steeler and holly and pam and gary
Please forgive us, Father, for what we've done wrong. And through your Son's name that we pray, amen.